0: welcome to the fearless health podcast with host dr Anne marie barter dr barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly dr barter is the founder of alternative family medicine and chiropractic
1: in denver and longmont colorado
0: So, I'm so excited to have today's guest here today. So, thank you so much for joining us. Lee McCormick is with us today. And um, I want to just talk about how I I got into inviting Lee onto the podcast. Um, Had some patients. Patients give me all the ideas of who to bring on to the podcast. And um, two of my patients actually went to one of his classes out of Boulder, Colorado, and were raving about it. And then when I asked, I said, you know, hey, guy, I also asked on Front Range Mountain Biking, a, a Facebook group, it's pretty active here, and I said, who do you guys want to hear about, you know, honing your mountain bike skills, you know, getting better, and, you know, it was pretty unanimous that uh, Lee joined us, so thank you so much for being here today.
2: You're very welcome, I'm stoked.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, this is selfish for me because I love to hear about things to improve mountain biking cuz I personally love mountain biking myself. You so ride. I do. I do. In fact, um my first, I I rolled into Bicycle Village for my first bike and got a, like a Trek, what was it? A Trek fuel, which was not the right geometry for my body. And um, finally, when I switched and upgraded my bike, I'm such a better rider. I didn't realize what a difference it would make, but yes, yeah, I love to ride. So cool. awesome. Yeah. So for me, selfishly, I love to, I love to hear about this stuff. So
2: it's, it's so, very, very, very cool.
0: Yeah. So, how did you get into biking, Lee?
2: Well, I was a kid. Just as a kid, I was a normal kid who rode. You know what I mean? I had a Schwinn Stingray, and we rode around the neighborhood. We built jumps, and we crashed, and all that stuff. But I was a heavy kid. It was like um, we had a Weight Watchers family. My mom was, like, really obese, and I was was heavy, you know, and I was struggling with that. And um, when I was, um, like, late, late, late teens – I was doing some motocross, um, which I sucked at. Like, not to boast, but I was the worst motocrosser in California. <laughs> I was bad because I didn't have any skill and I didn't have any, you know, way to acquire skill, and I was not fit. So, it was but I loved it, and it, and it, and it, and, it, and it, like it served a part of me that needed to be a badass. You know what I mean? So, like, being a motocrosser like served that need I had, right? And so we were doing that really poorly, and um mountain bikes were getting popular, you know, and, and they had back then they had 18 gears. And I thought, well, even my fat ass can get up a hill with 18 gears. You know what I mean? So I went and, and I bought one for 320 bucks. Um, I took it home. I was so proud. And I was like, dad, you know, I'm going to get in shape. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to lose weight finally. Cause I I've been on all these freaking diets. It's like go on a diet, suffer, lose weight, gain more back, feel worse. You know what I mean? And then the pants just were getting bigger and bigger. And it was getting to the point where we couldn't buy pants at a normal place because my butt was big. And it's just fucking, of my friends. It was just a mess, you know? And so I got to the bike and my dad's like, you know what? You're always going to be fat. You wasted your money, et cetera. So maybe he just gave me a little bit of a boost.
0: <laughs> a little so, incentive. <laughs> right?
2: So I started writing, and, and, I, and I used to go to junior college at the time. And, um, like, I'll f- never forget, the first time I wrote it to school, it took 47 minutes. It kicked my ass. I mean, I was so sweaty and all this. But it was just, like, something about it, man, It like, resonated with me. I was like, this is cool. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I kept doing it, and I kept doing it, and I kept doing it, and I just kept doing it, and it became like a religion for me, like many cyclists. It's like a religion or an addiction. And um, I, uh, I started losing weight. You know what I mean? And and what was cool? I'll cry a little bit. It's like the weight came off, but something else happened where, like, a locked up part of my personality came out. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've been I've been playing this other role for a while, like the goofy friend or like, and the guys I was hanging out with weren't always kind to me. And I, and I just wasn't like at their level, you know what I mean? And, and the bike, it could have been anything, but for me, the bike was a vehicle to kind of like realize my personal power, you know what I mean? So I started losing weight and I started becoming an athlete and like, and I started like standing up for myself in a different way. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm just talking about being like a confident man young man, mm-hmm. right? And so some of my friends I'll never forget, they were older than me. They're like, you know, I like the old better. You know? And I was like, that's too bad. Like we're done. Right. And so of course, when you're if you're if you ride bikes, if you ride mountain bikes, you're a mountain biker sure. and you can go to any shop in anywhere in the world and and make friends and ride. You know what I mean? So like it's just like it, it, it served like this physical need I had, this kind of addictive tendency I had and this this need to like be my whole self right so I started riding you know and and I got in shape and um I used to ride the road a lot I used to commute like like crazy on the bike and road and got into some racing you know and and it it just became my thing and uh I mean that was 30 years it was over golly 32 (laughs) years ago wow because because I'm 50 and I started when I was like 18 So so
0: It's really cool it developed this passion you just yeah we're able to have this great passion and something bigger than yourself to live for which i think is really important
2: i think okay. so and like i think for me like you know and i'll tell you the whole story if you want to hear it it's a crazy story but sure. like like for me like being a bike coach guy it's like it's such a complete thing for me to do. Like it's such a good use of my time and my energy, because it's like for myself, I get to be a rider and an athlete, right? I get to be a thinker cause like I have this background in information design and infographics and I've won some awards and done pretty well at that, you know, and like, and, but it was like, I'm able to take those professional skills and put into something I'm passionate about. And then when I'm working with people, it's like there's this whole other like, you probably you probably get it like there's this whole other personal thing of like connecting with people and and, and helping them live better lives. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's it's pretty rad. And um, I'll give you the quick version. Like like so like when I was like 18, I started riding, started riding, started riding. And it's funny because the same week I bought my first mountain bike, I took my first journalism course at college. Same week, and um. And I started like studying those things in parallel, right? I was like becoming a biker and I was learning about journalism and my specialty back then was informational graphics. And, um, and I had some easy six, not easy, early, you know, I had success um, working at a big newspaper and, and we all like won this Pulitzer together, you know, it was like a thing. And, wow. um, and then I quit that job because I topped out so young and I went to work for big.com using my same skills to like design software, right? So I'm going to try to make this a good story. But so basically like, like I'm going through this process of being a biker and I became a downhill racer because that's like my disposition and my physiology. I'm more of a sprinter, right? So I was pursuing that. I was really trying to win a national and like take that all the way as far as I could. And I was also kicking ass in my career. But this whole time, I was having this really gnarly, like, stress-related illness. Mm. It was like, it was a pain syndrome. It was a pain. And they said I had fibromyalgia. That's what they diagnosed me with. Um, But basically, and, and, you know, just talking about it, my hands hurt. Mm. Just, Just mentioning it, right? I feel the energy in my forearms. So basically, I had this excruciating pain syndrome in most of my body, but especially in my hands and my forearms. And it was, it was, it was just, it was awful. Like I would take 14 ibuprofen a day just to get through the, through the day at work, you know, on the computer. And, um, and like, so I kind of like was having this thing where I was succeeding on the bike. although that was hard. I was succeeding at work and that wasn't as hard, but I knew it wasn't right. Does this make sense? Oh yeah. I I was destined for something different. Mm -hmm. And I had this insane like stress related illness thing going on. And 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 I and I was learning to manage it and I was doing okay with it. But then I went and worked at a dot com and it was super insane. I was making what I considered to be a ridiculous amount of money. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, they gotta raise it out of zero. You know what I mean? Back then. <laughs> that was a lot of money. Yeah. And 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 um, I was just burning the candle, like training, racing writing for magazines, running com when I first started, just like losing my mind. And then, and I knew something was wrong, but I just I didn't know what to do. So have you ever seen the movie Whale Rider? No. Oh, dude. do.
0: <laughs> oh, do I need to see that? Okay. Yeah, it's a Whale good movie. Rider. I got it. Some
2: people have heard me tell the story, but it's basically, it's a story. It, it's an independent film about this Maori girl whose destiny is to become the king of her tribe totally frowned upon in a patriarchal society. She has lots of tribulations, you know, it's a a great movie. And uh, I'm watching it in the Palo Alto Theater in the Bay Area with a bunch of millionaires, a bunch of Porsches in the parking lot. And this movie is playing out. And dude, and I'm just starting to cry. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm just like, it it hit me and I'm crying. And like halfway through, I just gave up trying not to cry. And it's coming out of me, man, it's coming out of me. And we're just having this insane experience. And uh, and, um, like the movie's starting to come to crescendo and it's all happening. And I had a vision. It sounds crazy, but this is my truth. Like some entity was looking down on me Mm -hmm. and it was like, dude, are you watching this movie? Are you seeing this? And I was just bawling uncontrollably, right? And I was like, yes. Oh my God, this is insane, right? And, And the voice said, well, are you honoring your faith? And I had to say, no, I'm not. So um, I quit my job that Monday.
0: Wow. And you haven't really looked back since, have you?
2: No. Once in a while, I look back to see what's back there. But uh, no, I mean, and that's what happened. And I went from making, you know, good six figures, secure job. I could have made made any, you know, they really loved me to making zero and to try to pursue this thing, like total Joseph Campbell, pursue your path, Mm -hmm. you know. Follow your bliss type stuff, and then and then that it all started. Man, I went out and I did racing for a season, and um, I did okay. You know, I met my goals. Like my main goal was to qualify for the world championships and to okay. go wearing the goal. wearing the <laughs> uniform. You know, like yeah. the, the oh, stars yeah. and stripes.
1: Yeah, I did
2: and I did pretty good. I made one mistake that I'll never forget, and um, it was cool, man. And and I and I did I did the first book. And that all led... And it all, all that led to me being a teacher, you know? Yeah. So that's and here how, you are. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of crazy. And, like, it's, it's just, like, it's such a nutty... Like, when I was in that movie, right, like, it was... I just crossed a cliff, uh, and I jumped off the cliff. And my boss was like, dude, we love you. How much money do you want? Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm sorry, man. It's too late. And then he said... And this is where the good story becomes bad advice he goes well all right dude this is secret but yahoo yahoo bought us Mm -hmm. if you can wait three weeks you can get your stock i should have waited you know i could have used a couple million bucks right (laughs) now but 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 i I just didn't you know and it was just like it was just so much of my life has been about duty Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and like just fighting the inner demons and the Maybe you call it depression. I don't know. You know, fighting that shit and doing what I'm supposed to do. And this is like this pristine moment, right? Of like clarity from God, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Right. Listen.
0: And I think, you know, I think it's really important to follow your passion. I mean, I did the same thing sitting here today. You walk out on a raise. And I think you know in your gut and you know when it's wrong to continue to do that job or whatever it is, you know, when you're not following true or being true to yourself. So I, I get that. I mean, your passion's bikes and helping people and training people. I I get that. My, my passion's helping people too. I I love it. And I wake up every day and I'm so excited to do my job. Like I'm grateful that I get to do that. Like how lucky am I that that's, you know, my destiny, but so
1: super rad, super rad.
0: Yeah. So, um, my first biking experience, I rode um, in Crested Butte when the wildflowers were out and I was just hooked. I was addicted. Like, I, I'd been biking. I'd done Ironmans. I'd done other things that were, uh, they were fine. But um, just mountain biking for the first time in Crested Butte with all the wildflowers was just an incredible experience. And mm-hmm. so it just, uh, this passion has spun from there. And that's personally how I socialize these days. You know, I don't really like, I'm not really into alcohol or socializing late at night i love to ride bikes and and do that piece so how in the world do you get in biking
2: shape <laughs> well that's a that's a big you know thinking about that for the past couple of days since you sent me the question like it, it, so much of it, it depends it depends what you mean by biking shape and like what you what you want you know what i mean it's true so, it totally depends so what 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 like tell me who who I'm answering this question. For. I think
0: answer it. I mean, I think your experience has been with a lot of pro riders. So can you answer it for maybe the normal person that recreationally likes to yeah. ride bikes and then also yeah. maybe for somebody that's a little bit more of an aggressive rider because I think we have a little bit of both.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And most of my people are are regular people, you know who right. are just, that's that's where the market is, that's where the money is. yeah, um well. I mean, the simplest answer is ride a lot. I mean, if you, for example, want to be able to, like I rode with some guys last night who are more like recreational riders, you know, and one of them was really good and the other were pretty good. You know, there's a variety, right? And fitness levels, they're like, I think a couple of the guys are like startup founders and they don't ride much, you know? So it's like for them, they ride Hall Ranch every Thursday. That's what they do. And so if, if you can just be consistent and come up with a routine, right? Like, like maybe you can ride your bike a couple of days a week, be consistent with it, you know? And like, if you feel like, if you feel good and you want to go hard, go hard. If you feel tired and you want to go easy, go easy. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, I think that's pretty good. Like that's the most basic answer just for a basic person who just wants to have more fun is, is do it on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I guess a good quote minimum to be like successful would be twice a week. And then of course you, maybe you get to ride every Sunday. So maybe you go Wednesday and you get on a trainer or you ride the road bike or you do CrossFit or, you know, whatever. Um, I think that's the basic answer. The more, the more intense answer, like the next level answer would be that. And I know, you know, all this stuff cause you're a doctor, right? Is like you have different energy systems in your body that create energy for different like intensities and durations. Right? So you have like, this, this is so basic, right? The most basic way I can express it is like, you have like your aerobic systems, which are made for like easy to moderate for a long time. And then you have your anaerobic systems, which are made for intensity for a short time, right? Like to be a good mountain biker, you need, you need all of them. And you need all of them to be pretty well developed, right? And so what ends up happening is, if you go out with your friends like last night, and you just ride, you, you ride at an intensity that's too hard for it to be restful, but that's not hard enough to create the proper adaptations that you really want. So you kind of end up at what they'll call level three of intensity, and it's kind of like you just kind of become a locomotive, and you'll get in shape, but you're just going to kind of like top out. Mm -hmm. So the thing to do is to spend and maybe just twice a week and it doesn't have to be a ton of time. Maybe you do five minutes, four times, or if you're hardcore, 20 minutes, three times, right? But you go to what they consider to be level four or we'll call it sweet spot. And if, and if you're just going out riding, what that would be is like, if you and I were climbing together, right. Mm -hmm. And, And we're going and we would be able to talk a little bit, but just in short statements, like. Like, you might go, hey, man, how's this pace? And I'd be like, it's okay, man. Yeah, it's all right. All right. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. If I can't say that, we're going too hard. If I can say, well, you know, it's funny you should bring up pacing, <laughs> like a Cliff Clavin answer, then, um, then it's too easy. You know what I mean? So, like, this kind of like sweet spot, like pretty darn hard, but not terribly hard, that's, that's where you get the most adaptation for your aerobic systems. And that's where you want to be. Okay. Um, for the most part so you want to definitely hit that a couple days a week and then also if you're a mountain biker so if you're a road biker that's plenty honestly you can just cruise around right but if you're a mountain biker in the front range especially like we have punchy climbs
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so here's the thing you are never gonna develop power unless you practice power right like it's just not gonna happen You know, so, so you want, when you're working out, you'd want to mix in some short, intense efforts. So like, if you're doing like a technical climb, like Hall Ranch up in Lyons, Mm -hmm. well, that's perfect (laughs) because the intervals are built in for you because it's not that steep and there's like a rock garden and then it's flat for a while and a rock garden and just make sure you go way above your threshold for like, let's say 10 to 30 seconds. Just go, go as hard as you can for that period, recover, repeat. And so I think, I think like at that second level, you know, like it's a mix of that sweet spot training and that intensity training. And a lot of the mountain bike rides we do around here kind of like mix that up. So, is that helpful?
0: Definitely, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking about the trails. And when we think about, for example, Deer Creek, when we think about Chimney Gulch, um, when we think about hall ranch, um, you know, some of those climbs, um, not really so much white branch cause it's just kind of up, but a grade, um, those all seem to me to have that punchy climb that you're talking about where you're going all out and then a break and then all out and then a break. And so right. really to get over that level, you're saying really exercise three times a week, hardcore 20 minutes doing that interval training. will get you over that hump.
2: It'll help. So it's like you'd want to do. It can get a lot more complicated, right? But you want to hit that sweet spot intensity. Let's say for 20 minutes. Like if you're a normal person, 20 minutes of that. By the time you warm up, 20 minutes of that's fine. Like 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 today, I'm I'm leading a rip row workout. We're gonna do four minutes five times at that intensity. So you could do four minutes five times. You could do three minutes seven times. You can do uh, ten minutes twice. You could do 20 minutes once. Like. Like it, like people make a living, like programming that stuff, but I don't think it's that important at, that, at this, at this level. I don't think it's that big a deal. It's like, if, if you're going to go do like a 20 minute climb, okay. Perfect example. You're going to go do, um, the front side of hile Ranch, like the Boulder side of hile Ranch. Mm-hmm. Take it easy, cruise, cruise, cruise on the dirt road, warm up. And as soon as you hit the single track, go as hard as you can right? Which is going to be like, not as hard as you can, like you're going to die, but go at that like sweet spot threshold. And that's a 20 minute climb, right? Mm -hmm. So that's totally cool. If you're doing, if you're doing hall ranch, like hall ranch is kind of like broken up into smaller bits. So maybe like, you know, you start off super easy and then you can get like a five minute block where it's kind of flat and rolling. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to the rock gardens, just freaking attack those as hard as you can. Hard as you can recover, and by the way, this is this is something that might be unpopular with people, but there is nothing wrong at all with stopping at the Hall Ranch Rock Garden and resting. There's nothing wrong with that. so here's like here's like for example, let's say I'm like I'm not going to stop, right? That thing is so brutal. <laughs> it's so hard. So, all, like, there's the technical requirements of like, can you even do that? Right. Right. But there's the power requirement. So if I want to go without stopping, what I end up doing is going really slow. And then I'll walk sections and I'll keep my intensity at that three, that level three. So I got some exercise, but I didn't actually train. What's a better way to go would be if, if there's sections where you can pedal, pedal those at that like high intensity, you know, like that, that conversational hard, hard to talk pace. And then when you get something gnarly, recover, ride the gnarly shit as hard as you can, give yourself some rest. And that way, instead of doing one like half hour level three effort, Mm -hmm. you're going to do like a bunch of like a few minute level fours and some really intense like level fives.
0: This is basically like suicides. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's really how you're explaining it. It's just basically like suicides.
2: Yeah, do do the interval training, and then when you're out, and I'm talking about when you're training for yourself. Mm-hmm. When you're out with your friends on Sunday, just ride, dude, enjoy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like for, for that Wednesday when you're by yourself, or like if you have like a group of people who are like-minded, like get think intervals, think intervals. You know, um, that's just that's how that's why training is done the way it is, because interval training is so efficient. And I and I have to say again, like if left to your own devices. You're going to be going medium to medium hard and it's enough to tire you out, but it's not enough to give you the full benefit of your training. So it's much better to what they say they to polarize your training. When it's time to go hard, go hard. When it's time to go easy, go easy.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And then that'll give you more benefit.
0: That's great. Is there anything, is there anything else that you really feel like would improve riding you know some of the some similar skills that would also improve riding
2: yeah like hip hinge oh
0: good yeah can you explain that
2: yeah like oh my god like it's, it's such a big part of my life is hip hinge right so like okay um imagine a squat right where you have a barbell on your back on your shoulders and you're trying to keep your torso pretty upright and your knees come forward and you drop your butt down that's a squat In a hinge, a hinge, this is so visual, it's hard to do on the the radio. A hinge is like a deadlift. So in a hinge, you keep your knees back and you push your butt back and you fold your torso to level. And so when you do a deadlift, you basically drive your hips forward and that brings you upright, right? And so when we mountain bike, this is important. We do not use the squatting pattern. We should not use the squatting pattern. How many of you guys, when you're going down a downhill, do your quads burn?
0: Yeah, mine do. Mine, right? That'll happen to me. Yeah.
2: And it doesn't matter how fit you are. You could be a total Ironman badass, and if you're descending for five minutes, your quads will burn. Mm-hmm. That's because you're in a squat pattern.
0: Yeah, I totally do that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 so basically, what like, this is the, big, the biggest breakdown in form, is your knees come forward, your butt tucks down, your shoulders come up. And so it puts you in a position where, first of all, your weight's being borne by your quads and they're not made for that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, I like, to, like in my simple world, right? Like there's action muscles and there's posture muscles, right? And your quads are an action muscle, right? And they're not really made to hold your weight static, right? So, so when you go to that squat, you're using the wrong muscles. And also you, you turn off your posterior chain, your butt and all the good muscles back there. And this is important, your shoulders come too far from the bar. And so like the, sorry, um,
1: <laughs>
2: I just got a notice. We're down to 15 ripros. <laughs> um, uh, when your shoulders are far away from the handlebar, you don't have any control of the bike. So, so in, in contrast, we want a hinge. So in a hinge, the knees stay back, the butt goes back, and your, and your torso folds to level. And that put, brings your shoulders right to the bars. And this is key for CrossFit, right? For, for any Olympic lifting, for yard work, for being a football player, for being a volleyball player, for just being a human being, right? It, it, it's all about hinging. And when we hinge on the bike, some rad things happen. One is you're not using your quads to support your weight. You use like your, your hamstrings and your butt, mm-hmm. which are built for that. And they don't get tired. So you can hold the position – way longer. Also it, it brings your shoulders down to the handlebar. And if you think about your arms, like I'm giving you a visual, but like the, if your if your shoulders are at the handlebar, you have this much range of motion to control the bike. Right. Like, look how long your arm is. If you can hinge your shoulder all the way to the bar, my arm's like what, two feet long? Uh-huh. You can go off a two foot ledge without your head even moving. That's
0: true. That's a great thing. Yeah, a
2: huge part of what I teach people. So, like the biggest thing, and 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 maybe I'm speaking out of school because I'm just like a bike coach guy, but like the biggest thing, like anyone can do, just for general physical health and like not having bad knees and a bad back, is is dialing their hip hinge. Yeah. Right. Like the hips are supposed to be the engine of your body. Right.
0: And that's critical. You know, that's a great point that you bring up because. The biggest thing that is my downfall personally with mountain biking, a lot of other women I know also say this is that they really burn out their quads because women are very, very quad dominant. So I can pretty much do everything with my quads, which really burns me out. And I thinking about the downhill, I just get lazy. Like it's not that I couldn't hitch hip hinge. And most people I see now as I'm thinking about it, when you talk about it, are completely in a squat position. They generally are not hinge. Am I incorrect when I say that?
2: No, you're correct. Like most people squat. Like if you just go around, if you just go around America and watch people, people squat here. If you go to Asia or Africa, people tend to hinge. You wow. know, um, it's just like I don't know if it's a cultural thing, a sitting culture thing. I don't know. Bad PE classes. <laughs> you know? That that would have been the time to teach everybody how to hinge. Um, instead of how to play dodgeball, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, like, like I'm telling you, like everybody should become a freaking master of hinging. You should know how to squat. Squatting is important, but like I don't train loaded squats at all because it's not my sport. Like if if I want to carry my kids around, I'll squat and pick them up, right? Mm-hmm. But um, and I'll do bodyweight squats and different kinds of lunges, you know, just for basic readiness. But 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 if I'm going to use load, it's all about hinging. And, and I'm telling you, like, so a lot of people have low back pain when they ride too,
1: which right? is
0: from the squat because that's putting true. a lot of pressure on the disc. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
2: Yeah, you have like if you have an, if if you, if your low back is bent, there's just yeah. so much stress going through.
0: Oh yeah, totally. Especially
2: like a hall ranch type of ride, like. One of the guys I was riding with yesterday, um, on the way up, he was strong, man. He was really strong. And on all the uh, really fast, flowy stuff up top, he was fast. Like, I was on his wheel and it was a good speed. But when we got into the really gnarly, rocky shit, it all kind of fell apart. And, um, and his core strength just wasn't there. And he knows it, so he has a rip row now and he's training on that. Um, but you could see the difference. It was just like, aha! When you get to technical terrain, like that lack of hip awareness, that lack of core strength, really gets in the way.
0: So you think another piece is the lack of core strength that is huge for technical riding, is what I hear you saying.
2: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, you know this. You see people every day, right? Like all the time. Yeah, it's like it's like people don't know how to use their hips. Mm -hmm. They just don't. And and like, I got an email from a guy, right? And uh, if if you pay me. I'm super hundred percent professional, and we have top secret status. But he didn't pay. He just asked for my advice. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of complaining about his bike setup, and I have all these bike fit methods, and they're not working for him. So I was just like, and and he's a personal trainer, and he owns a gym, and he says he has the state deadlift record. So I'm like, well, this guy should know how to hinge, right? Mm-hmm. And right. And, I asked, and I asked him to send a video of him riding. Holy! Homie might know how to hinge in the gym <laughs> on a bicycle, and I was like, "Holy crap, dude! Like that's a serious issue, man. You know, like it, I mean, and it's not. It, it's like I'm talking about like people who should know better have terrible hip mechanics and core strength. Right? I did, you know. Yeah.
0: I think you just don't, you know, as I think back to, you know, the hip hinge, I just didn't even think about it. And I, I think when you get into terrifying stuff, you you like to push yourself forward to grab the handlebars more. You think that that's going to keep you safer. There's some innate thing there that's not quite right, but I, I have a feeling maybe that's why, I mean, that's, that's what I can think of why I would do that. Um, because I know how to hinge, but I just never thought about it on a bike, which is so, yeah, so
2: get back On the bike, try it. And of course, if you ever want to do time with me, we can do that. Oh,
0: yeah. No, I plan to do that this year. I was going to sign up with you until this COVID business hit. All right. <laughs> the,
2: hinge, the hinge is huge, and the core strength is what holds it all together. Totally. You know, and, 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 I, and I know I know a lot about core because I let mine go mm-hmm. from ignorance, and it went it went my, 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 my multifidus, my, my multifidi. Yep. You're right. It just stopped working. It just stopped. And I didn't even know what it was. And, and I was impinging a nerve, you know, and it was just a freaking mess. And so I got, I got, I, I saw the right physio who was like, ah, your multifidus is dead. And I'm like, Oh, what's that? And then I, I got good PT. So mm-hmm. I'm back now, you know, but like I'm um, having a strong core is so key. and Most people are awful.
0: Well, there's there's a syndrome called the lower cross syndrome, and I think, like, really what you're talking about is that, you know, weak abs, weak glutes, you know, really tight, shortened hip flexors, and so we tend to see that, and a lot of times you'll get quad dominant, so there's – you really – you know you're describing that but it's a perfect setup for blowing a disc or getting nerve impingement or any of those things so that's exactly what you're describing that's what's
2: going on. and there's the upper cross syndrome too right
0: of course yeah you're you've got all these things yep you're right the uppercross upper cross yeah, syndrome so, and, they're all
2: really, and i see that shit every day you know and it's like it's like people these days you're not reading mountain bike magazines you're on mountain bike websites hmm. And 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 the mountain bike industry has done an incredible job of marketing the sport of of being this amazing, rad, badass thing. And the, we, we spend this money on these bikes, and we have this thought that we should just be shredding. You know what I mean? And I and I want people to shred. That's what I want for people for people. But my God, like y- you have to be a sound athlete. You know what I mean? And 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 uh, you have to have a hinge. You have to have decent core strength. And then in my world, too, the biggest the, – the, the, you, have, you have that. And then you have what I call rowing and anti-rowing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: A row, rowing is just like what you do on a rowing machine. When you're on the bike, um, when you're going through like a, like a hole or like onto a rise, you're going to push with your feet and pull with your hands. That's a row. Mm-hmm. And when you go across the top of the rise, you're going to push with your hands and pull with your feet. That's the anti-row. Okay. So what happens is, is there's this there's – this, um, and I'll show you in person. You'll, you'll love it. Um, there's this like, interplay between like, this pull-push or row-anti-row cycle, and that's what gets your bike pumping and planning through terrain in a smooth way. And it happens to use all the big muscles in your body.
0: So, and, and that's your rip-row, right? And the is rip-row you-
2: is this invention that I made that, that teaches it. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. So, cause I saw you doing that a little bit on your, on your site to kind of show how to do maybe bunny hops. I think is what you were explaining was how to do bunny hops, if I'm not mistaken, but oh. really doing that row anti-row motion. That was really, really cool to see you just break that down so simply.
2: It's pretty nifty. Like I've been on this project for a long time. And mm-hmm. like I said, I'm an information designer by training. And so I love it when it gets more simple. Okay. You know, like I used to be so complicated with my teaching. I had like 50 things I would teach you. But now I only really want to teach you two things, row anti-row. And then once you get that, it becomes one elliptical cycle. And once you have that cycle in your body, dude, riding is, um, it's a whole other deal. It's like, it's like a perfect powder day every day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like that's what it's like. That kind of transcendence, you know, and that's what I teach. And I used to teach, I used to think, oh, this is like for pro downhillers and enduro racers. But what I realize now is like, like it works for everybody. And if you're going to come to a class with me, I'm not going to do the thing to you. This is what other people, this is what they do like in ski ski instruction. And it pisses me off to no end. Like, they're like, here's how you ski pizza, French fry.
1: Right.
2: (laughs) And then they're like, and you get good at that, then they're like, oh, never mind, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a new way. And that happens a couple of times. And so now when I get people, it could be like a women's level one, where we're like a third of the people have almost never ridden a bike. I'll t i will just teach the I teach this from the beginning now. You know, I teach it on the rip row, I whiteboard it out so people get it. We do reps on the rip row and we get on the bike, and it's insane how fast people get good at riding. Like it's, it, it blows my mind because I've been doing this for a long time. Right. And I've done it like the old way and I've done it the new way and it's really nifty. So, so that's my whole thing is like, like the 80, 20 rule. It's like, what are the things that we can learn? Like what are the few things that we can learn that are going to give us the biggest benefit everywhere? And that would be like hip hinge, core stability, row anti-row. Those are the biggies. And right. Plus- right
0: and, and do you think like pressure on the hands and on the wrists? because a lot of people complain about that again is people are just not back far enough using their core strength yeah okay here's here's assume.
2: for everybody right and if you have any of my books it says this on every page pretty much light hands and heavy feet like like if like all of your body weight should be in your, your feet period that means no weight at all on your hands. Your hands should be floating. Now that's hard to do. It takes a lot of balance. But when you when you can do that, your your weight will distribute roughly evenly between the, the, the two wheels and the bike will handle well and you won't get the shoe out of you. Most people, when they're earnest, they're too far forward. And when they're scared, they're too far back. They're almost never in the middle. And we want you guys to to learn to be in the middle and like and so so okay. I told you the story about how I had that job, that stressful job, and I quit, right? And so then I opened a word document and I'm supposed to write the definitive book on how to ride a mountain bike. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, I, and I I got so stressed out that I gave myself shingles. Oh yeah, it was gnarly, man. I was it was a hard time in my life. And and one of the things that was vexing me, I was like, I just I didn't want to be that guy to go oh, just go for it and go by feel. Like, I think that's BS. Like, I wanted to be able to tell you exactly, like, how far back should you lean if you're on a downhill and you're breaking and you're hitting roots or whatever it is, right? And I went through so much consternation and it finally hit me, right? You ready? Check your hands on the grips. If your hands are floating, you're in exactly the perfect place and you're 100% safe and you cannot be thrown over the handlebars. Mm. If there's pressure on your palms, you're too far forward. You're gonna get the shit beaten out of you, and you're eventually gonna flop over the bars. Wow! If pulling on your fingers, you're gonna get the shit beaten out of you, and you're gonna get catapulted over the bars.
0: That's why that's happening.
2: That's why that happens. The most dangerous, horrible over the bar crashes, like the kind that break collarbones. I've got one here. Um, come from being too far back. And so this is important because if you go on YouTube and you listen to everybody's advice, and you listen to the bros at the, at the parking lot, yeah, bro just lean back and pinch the seat, that is bullshit. And, and that's what loads the trebuchet and actually sends you over the bars. So light hands, heavy feet, I'm telling you, like no matter what, or like, and like if you're like totally trying to attack some technical trail, light hands. If you're out doing some eight hour ride, and you just want to be efficient, light hands.
0: I just laugh because I've heard that advice. What else have I heard? The other advice is hit your brake, hit your front brake in sand. <laughs> I've heard that bad oh, advice. Bad. Uh, I can't even imagine. I, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's more, but those two, um, I, those two I found were incorrect for sure. Yeah, that's,
2: so. Another bad one is, is another, like another bad one is just follow me, bro. <laughs> I got this. And then, and then the, the corollary is just go for it, bro. <laughs> anything that has bro in it, you're asking, you're, Just just don't do it. Any kind of bro.
0: Oh, that's funny. That's true.
2: Yeah. Don't 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 be don't do the bro stuff. Don't do that.
0: So, yeah. so really building some of these skills off the bike, core stability, hip hinge. Is there any other core? Are there, are there anything anything else that you think is really good to build off of the bike?
2: I mean, you want to be just a generally strong, mobile human being,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know? So, like, if you, if, if, if you dig ditches for a living, you're already good, <laughs> you know? I mean, you already have your core strength and all that and your functional fitness, right? Right. If, if you're, if, if, like, when we used to build a lot of pump tracks, my company, and I would build, like, two a month. And each of those builds would be, like, five, 12-hour five, days of physical labor. And then, but then I'd have a week off. To recover oh my god i was a beast you know mm-hmm. it was really good but like if just general good be an active mobile person and do whatever it is you like to do like i walk the dog it's great having a dog otherwise i wouldn't walk mm-hmm. you know and walking the dog i'm doing calisthenics like if you like crossfit if you can do that without hurting yourself that's cool yoga flow yoga uh any kind of circuit training, like, honestly, I mean, that's a whole other series of conversations, but it's, I don't think it's that important what you do as long as you're doing it on a regular basis, you know? And like, and you know, this, like the biggies are like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you ready? I'm going to make a really clever rip row commercial. Here it comes. So like some of the people who know what they're talking about, I'm making air quotes, would say that a good off bike training program would include some variety of squatting, deadlifting, right? Core stability anti rotation slash anti-rotation pulling and pushing, right? Like those are kind of like the big ones. Mm -hmm. And, um, I use a rip row and the rip row does all that at the same time. Okay. Got it. That's a good one. Um, that's a good one. Yeah. I, I, have uh, I studied exercise physiology in college a hundred years ago, you know, I stay on top (laughs) of it and, um, and I stay on top of that stuff. And it can be really – people make it complicated, and it doesn't have to be. Right. You know,
0: is there anything that you feel is also a good tip for increasing speed going downhill?
2: Yeah, take a class.
0: Yeah, um, prob- it's all technical skills, isn't it? The,
2: the, the, but the biggest the biggest skill, like the biggest meta skill – and I don't care if you're just a beginner or just like a world champion because I've worked with all those people, Right. Like, the first thing we'll do is dial in your hip hinge Mm -hmm. and your, like, quote, attack position and your light hands. Like, if you can just go out on your next ride, all you listeners, and just on your downhill hinge and keep your hands light, it's going to feel so good. (laughs) And you're going to be so much faster. Like, it's huge. Huge. And then, of course, we can go on and on and on and on. You know, and then, like, once you have that, then the biggest thing for speed – is to learn how to get into sync with the train and pump the train, which is the rowing and the anti-rowing, mm-hmm. and that's a whole other level of speed.
0: Okay, awesome, that's great. I just, I hadn't even thought about that when I saw your rip row video. It really did make a lot of sense because when I watched you on the rip row, it really was imitating a pump track almost. That's that's how it appeared to me when I was watching that. Whether that's what you were trying to yeah, do yeah. or not, yeah, but it really did imitate yeah, that quite a bit it's
2: basically like a pump track machine okay. you know and it's like the way back in the day when they invented um rowing machines the only people who used them were rowers they used them for training and for warming up for races hmm. right um and now rowers are used by everybody right like, like riprow was invented for mountain biking and it's used by lots of mountain bikers and some high-level motocrossers um but it just happens to be the world's only upright bi-directional rowing machine. So you have pull resistance and push resistance. Yeah.
0: Very cool. And yeah. I think what's you know, something interesting you said also, you mentioned a bike fit a little bit, and I'm I'm curious mm-hmm. about that. So, you know, someone will go to a shop, they'll buy a mountain bike, they fit it up, right? And everybody thinks they're good to go. And you know, I I personally know that's not the truth because I I had some trouble initially when I got on a road bike, having knee pain going up Left Hand Canyon. Thought that because the bike fit wasn't quite right, you know. Mm. But I think a lot of people assume that. And with mountain biking, I would assume it's even harder to know with the 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 dropper post and other things that are you're changing position a lot on the mountain bike. So, um, what's your comment about you know bike setup or or bike fit that you get out of a um, bike shop?
2: Well i'll just be a jerk and say most of it it's awful yeah that's what i was curious about it's just awful and and, and and it's really 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 common that people get put on the wrong size bike in the first place it's mm. so common and, and like bike geometry has been changing mountain bike geometry has been changing the bikes are getting longer and longer and longer over the past several seasons but people have not gotten longer so for example, I'm five foot eight, I've ridden a medium bike since 1988, right? Well, like a current medium measures like a couple years ago is large bike. Mm. So what's happening is like you walk in and you're five foot eight, five foot nine, and they stick you on a medium bike, but really maybe you need a small,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know? so So like I think, god bless them like there are some really really good bike shops around and there are some awful bike shops around and and the people and the other thing is there are a lot of struggling bike shops around like what you'd want to have ideally is if you walked into a bike shop you have a guy like me with a gray beard who's been in this for 33 years 32 years who's an expert who can say well, where do you ride what you're saying oh here here's the bike here's the stem and get you dialed in but I, but I, but I'm 150 dollars an hour, <laughs> and they can't afford that guy. So you get the eight dollar an hour person at the at the bike shop, you know. So they can't afford to provide it. So, like most of them are awful. Um, uh, does that answer that question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, keep I'm going though. No, say, but, no but I, they're, they're awful.
0: Did you have a follow up thought with that? You looked like you were gonna go somewhere well, else. Well,
2: I have like this whole system that I've created for bike fit for mountain bikes sure and so um and then there's um. it's i have my websites and i wrote a book called dial that details it um but the basic idea and i'll just give this out for free is like for traditional bike fit you start with the bottom bracket you know where, where the pedals go and you position the seat which is totally cool totally cool and then they position the position of the handlebars based on where the seat is and it's some arbitrary shit like Oh, it should be like one fit. Like, you know, you see on road bikes, especially, oh, the bar should be one fist below the seat. Or you might've seen someone put their elbow on the, on the front of the seat and their fingertip on the handlebar. I have like seen just, that. Just arbitrary, <laughs> right? That's the yep. old way to do That's the old way. And, and, and if you get, like, if you go to the, if you get a fit, like a, with a capital F, they're going to put you on a stationary trainer. They're going to put you in a static position, and they're going to fit you to be in that static position. The problem is that's not what mountain biking is, right? So in my world, like wherever you need your seat to be, like if you go to retool, let's say, and get a fit, say you have bad knees and you need like a really finicky seat position, then I don't argue with that, man. Like put your seat where you need it to be. I'm not going to get mess with that. Mm-hmm. But what I care about is the relationship between your feet and your hands. That's what I care about. And so basically, you ready? This is, you ready for something crazy and simple Let's and beautiful? Yeah. This is why I feel like I'm doing a good job in my career because it's this simple now. Okay. If you just stand up, right, and you put your hands at handlebar width and you hang them down straight down like you're doing a deadlift, okay? See the distance from the ground to your knuckles? That's called buckle height. Um, I call it the rider area distance, the RAD. And you ready for this? This is so simple. When I set people up, I make I measure that. So for me, it's seventy eight centimeters. I measure the bike, and I match the, that. That seventy eight centimeters goes from the bottom bracket to the grips on the bike, and that's it. Perfect. I mean, it's simple. And then there's some other details around that, you know. But that's basically it. And, and what that does is it gives you a bike. The handle's awesome. What often happens is, is you go and you test the bike out and you just ride it around the parking lot, right? Right. And it has like a long top two or a long reach and a long stem. And you're like, oh, this feels nice, you know? Or if you get a fit inside a studio, they, they, they give you this long stretched out position like a road bike. But that's not how we ride mountain bikes. Mm-hmm. Like if if you can just get your bike set and I call it the rad, that rad distance correct, your bike feels so much better. And there are so many people, okay. I used to keep all this stuff secret, and I only use it for my clients, right? I've been doing this for for a long time. But I kept seeing people with the wrong size bike. And just I'm gonna use like a dad as an example, because that's like the most common example. It's like there's this dude, right, and he works for a living. And he had like a 15-year-old mountain bike, and he really wants a new mountain bike, and he's got to negotiate with his wife and save money. You know what I mean? It's a big deal, right? Right. And he goes to like some shop, and he spends $8,000 on a Yeti. And this is going to be his forever bike, right? The last bike he ever buys for the rest of his life. And it's the wrong size. And it just makes me crazy.
0: Yeah, It makes me so
2: sad for him, and it makes me so angry with the bike shop. So, so that's why I went public with this stuff. So that happens to fewer people.
0: That's really cool. Yeah, thanks for doing that. I think that probably will help a lot of people. And, Hope you know, so. I think the uh, the the final question is, um, do you have an opinion between cl- clipless pedals, flat pedal, or cages?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely no cages. <laughs> Just <Yeah>. a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cages are for birds, right? Um, <laughs> you know what I, I like them both and i use i use both i go back and forth I, i'm a weirdo because I, I mountain bike and dirt jump and do all that stuff clipped in but i ride a road bike with flats no way yeah i'm a weirdo i've never been cool and there's no uh-huh. worrying about it because for me i'm not like, <laughs> like who am i going to impress on a road bike right unless it's a downhill then i'm pretty fast right but like i live in the mountains above boulder and i climb a lot and it's like who am i going to impress so for me if I'm on the road bike, it's a, it's pedaling technique training and I get a higher level of pedaling technique training when I use flat pedals. Hmm. And so then in the, the, the thinking, my thinking is that if you teach your body how to follow the circle and that's a whole other podcast is pedaling technique. But if you teach your body how to like manage your feet, then when you clip in, then there's more bandwidth left for power.
0: Wow. That's great. That's
2: a, that's a thing.
0: That's really cool. I didn't know that. So where can people find you? Where can people find your books? You know, can you? Yeah, Lee you know, Likes Bikes is
2: a good place. LeelikesBikes.com. Great. And that has links to Ripro and my online schools. And I have like, a, I offer a remote, I, I do in-person classes, of course, when COVID's over. Mm-hmm. And I do remote coaching with people over the internet. And we have these online schools where you can just join and study on your own. Cool. Um, yeah, and all that.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. This has been You're really welcome. informative. Appreciate You're it.
2: welcome.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.